Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the IndieCast. This is one half of your hosting team, Zach Romero. Uh, so, this past week, we lost a uh, we lost a, a, a great talent, uh, both in the South and in the independent wrestling scene. Uh, one Jimmy Rave, and so uh, we actually got to have Jimmy on our show many, many years ago, back in like. I want to say almost, I think, season three of our show. So quite a long time ago. And so in memory of uh, of Jimmy Rave, we decided to forego a regular episode this week and dig into the archives and find uh, his appearance when he was uh, regaling us with stories of his career and his thoughts on wrestling. So um, enjoy. Enjoy this week. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. All that good stuff. And uh, we'll be back to regularly scheduled programming soon enough. So enjoy a blast in the past and this interview with Jimmy Rave. The views and opinions made by anyone on the IndyCast are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. Neither the IndyCast, the Cult of Kayfabe Entertainment Network, or any of its affiliates take any responsibility over the content of any statements or any of the opinions contained therein. The opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect the views of the IndyCast, the Cult of Kayfabe Entertainment Network, or any of its affiliates. The IndyCast is a podcast for adults, meaning that if you get offended by terms like fat finger blast, then you don't want to listen to this Cult of Kayfabe IndyCast. You're listening to the IndyCast, the most awesomely consistent independent wrestling podcast on the Cult of Cafe Network. It's a free weekly show covering the spectrum of the independent wrestling scene. Now, prepare to put the mantis over huge with Chad Allen, Zach Romero, and Luna Lynn. Greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the IndyCast. Chad Allen, Zach Romero, who is... That was disturbing. Uh, Luna Lynn, I wish we had a video camera for that one right there. Someday. That's wow, the goal for season three is video podcasting. Video podcasting, that's probably a horrible idea. It is. That's um, a very bad idea. Uh, we are here once again with an IndyCast. We are here with our uh, official first guest. Of 2016. Of 2016. Ooh. So I am excited to uh, to introduce um, uh, Ring of Honor talent, the the, crown, the original crown jewel of the, of the embassy. True. Uh, former TNA talent, one half of the uh, the Rock and Rave infection back mm-hmm. in uh, back then, and uh, I believe just recently voted. What what what, what did I read recently, uh, Jimmy? Was it the the best wrestler in the state of in the state of Georgia? Uh, I was voted uh, best wrestler in the state and also best technical wrestler in the state of Georgia. And deservedly so, ladies and gentlemen, we have with us one Mr. Jimmy Rave. Jimmy, thank you for being on the show. Thank you guys for having me. So. Um, and now, thankfully, I, I would hope that enough people have been watching Ring of Honor and the like long enough that we may not have to do the the boring podcast question for for one Mister Rave. But uh, one thing, I guess we we will get out of the way. The the one kind of horrible question we always usually have people introduce themselves and kind of tell us how they got into the business. We obviously kind of covered the the basics of of your um, career thus far. But tell us kind of where you trained and what what got you interested in becoming a wrestler. Um, well, I I trained with a a, a pro wrestler named. Named Mur- Murder One, who um, he still wrestles down here in Georgia, and um, really I got into wrestling. Um, I, I had seen some uh, indie shows my first year in high school, and um, living in Atlanta, where well, I actually lived in Marietta, Georgia. Were indie shows your first introduction to wrestling, or were you just like a wrestling fan as a kid, and then you saw the indies later on in life? Yeah, uh, I, I um, uh, so I was a military kid. And when when I was growing up, I 
for a long time, my, my stepfather was stationed in Hawaii, and um, one of the kids that I went to school with was a huge wrestling fan, and um, I think this was around WrestleMania 3 or something, uh, and um, and I, I started getting into wrestling at that time, and when I where I lived in Honolulu, they only came around um, once a year in December, and my birthday is at December 8th, and so it was always around the same time um, as my birthday, and so every year my birthday present was to be able to go to a WWE house show, and so, um, so growing up I was a huge wrestling fan, and then when I moved to Georgia, um, WCW was still around, um, ECW was really, um, really kicking and everything, and, uh, and so, um, I, I, I went, my freshman year, I was playing football and baseball for Strawberry High School, which was the same high school Buff Bagwell went to, and um, they ended up having an indie show at our high school after a football game, and um, Billy Kidman was on the show, and a whole bunch of local uh, Georgia wrestlers were on the show, um, and I, I just fell in love with it and started to seek out wrestling schools, and I hooked up with another one and um, started my training soon after that. Please, please tell me that at your former high school, there's a giant bronze statue of Buff Bagwell that says, like, he was, he was always the stuff. No, it, it's really funny. Uh, my, myself, uh, Buff Bagwell, and Xavier Wood both went to the same high school. What a triple so, so there couldn't need be a bronze statue put up at some, at some point. So now um, you, you mentioned you were military brat. I am. I am as well. What branch? What branch of service? Uh, my stepfather was in the was in the air force, and my my father was in the army. Okay. So a lot lot of um lot of different duty stations you ended up with as a kid. What's that? A lot, lot of different. Uh, did you end up at a lot of different duty stations? Uh, you know, growing up as a kid, obviously. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I probably went to uh, probably seven or eight different um, schools in my in my lifetime. And uh, what was the, what was kind of the the weirdest um, duty station you ended up in? I know you were in Hawaii for a little bit, but was there anything like out of country, or did um, you stay mostly in the U.S.? Yeah, we. You know, like it went. Um, it went from Alaska to Hawaii to Washington State to Georgia. So I mean, it was just a rare, um, a lot of different climate changes. Do you think the fact that you were a military kind of that military brat moving to a lot of places has helped out a little bit in the kind of the the day to day travels of, of being a wrestler? Oh, absolutely. Um, especially just uh, learning the diversity of people. Um, because there's such a diverse group of people like that live on a military base, and so when you know, like traveling to different countries and different regions, especially the United States, is really helpful in, in learning um, different cultures and how how to act differently with um, amongst different folks. Now, the fact that, like you said, every year for your birthday as a kid, you were watching uh, a WWE house show, and then eventually, like you said you moved from that to the hot bed mecca of WCW, which was Hotlanta. Um, were, who were the wrestlers that you kept finding yourself drawn to? You meant you name dropped Billy Kidman was wrestling at your high school. Um, what, who were the wrestlers that you were drawn to at a younger age that you were like, "This is my dude"? Um, you know, ironically, like I, I was uh, a huge fan of uh, Kurt Hennig, Mister Perfect. I, you know, like I was just a huge 
huge fan of his, even, you know, five and six, seven years old. Um, you know, Bret Hart, uh, Shawn Michaels. I, I think I, I think I knew, like, the good wrestlers when I was a kid. And, you know, of course, like, there was Hulk Hogan that I was a huge fan of. Um, I, I, was, I was from Marietta, Georgia, so uh, the Big Boss fan was a huge um, influence on me. Um, one of those house shows that I went to, ironically, had like the worst finishes I ever saw in my life. Was um, they had Sergeant Slaughter, a so big Boss Man, because Hogan couldn't make this house show, and Boss Man actually won because Sergeant Slaughter was on the top rope for more than five seconds. And I thought he hit the Boss Man. You know, the guy from Pump County just won the world title, and ironically, uh, my, my six-year-old mind couldn't handle all that. <laughs> Now, was was slaughter was it? Do you think that was the ending they had planned to go with the five seconds on top, or do you think slaughter got stuck? No, I, I think that was I think that was the plan. <laughs> like, uh, but I like I don't even think that's a rule anymore. Like, I don't. I think you'd be on the top rope as long as you want now. I, I I like to believe that as they were like on the flight over to Honolulu, they're like okay. What is the most ridiculous finish <laughs> that we can book without causing a riot and having someone be stabbed? And it was like, okay, right. I will bet you if you stand on the top rope for a five count and we go Bill Watts style and your ass gets disqualified, <laughs> that that's pushing it. Yeah, I like the Bill. I like the Bill Watts reference for those of you that are playing the Indian turkey game at home. Right. Zach is just stolen my gimmick. Yeah. Please take a drink. Um, don't go to the outside. Yeah, don't go to the outside. Don't go to the top rope. Yeah. <laughs> second second rope, you're clear. Yeah. Top rope, no go. Yeah. So, very ridiculous. Now, were you more of a uh, of a WCW guy because you were in Atlanta, or were you still kind of keeping up with WWE? I'm asking like a thousand questions when you were like eight. I'm sorry. But this is, that's, <laughs> I'm just drawn to this. Yeah, I, um, I, think, I, I think I was still more of a WWE guy. Um, you know, like where I lived in Washington State, ironically, we had to have a satellite system because we lived in a really rural, rural um, city. And um, there was a Madison Square Garden channel. So I, I got introduced to ECW in, like, I think, 96, 97. And so, like, that really kind of took over my world <laughs> at that point. And, um, and then, um, you know, just uh, the attitude area, you know, just kind of... Um, burst on the scene. So when I moved to Atlanta, though, um, I think I moved to Atlanta around um, '98 um, and stayed here since then. And, and that that's when I kind of got more into, you know, um, WCW, you know, and just watching everything I could get my hands on. So I'm assuming, did you know kind of at that age that this is what I want to do, or was was there something else kind of in mind, and then? You came back around to the wrestling. Um, my middle ticket was supposed to be um, being a pro baseball player. Um, I, I was really skilled at that, and um, I really uh, my my father really pushed me to to, to be a uh, to follow that through, and um, some life circumstances made that uh, you know decision. It wasn't what I wanted. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like it's really easy to get lost shuffle with, with a team of, you know, nine or ten other guys in the field. And so I, I really wanted to um, be in a sport where I can really control my own destiny. And so uh, pro wrestling was something that I kind of felt like, you know, if, if I failed, then it's all on me. Um, it's nobody else's fault. 
Are you a big are you a big baseball fan? Otherwise, just to to watch the game or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I love I love um, baseball. It's... Kudos to you for going the Macho Man gimmick and not <laughs> bringing in baseball into your wrestling ideas. Like sticking with like, hey, I'm just going to be a great wrestler. I'm not going to be like knuckleball Schwartz, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I try to avoid that. Knuckleball only happened because the, the MLB went on strike, and that was Vince's way of... Wasn't it the Brooklyn Brawl? Flipping, yes, it wasn't. Am I breaking Brooklyn. kayfabe? I'm sorry. You, yes, you, you, Dude, you, shattered, you shattered kayfabe all over the place because <laughs> nobody knew that Abe Knuckleball Schwartz was also the Brooklyn Brawler. Damn it, I'm so sorry. He will so, never be on the show now. Shit. Yeah, we, we've lost our chance with the Brooklyn Brawler because it. of that one. Damn it. So, I, I, I'm assuming you're from Atlanta. Are you a Braves fan? Oh, yeah, yeah. I okay. absolutely love the Braves. So, uh, now you trained in Georgia with, with Murder One. Uh, uh, was Ring of Honor kind of the first, I guess, larger company that, that you got recognized by, or was there anything kind of in between that? Uh, no, I actually um, kind of floated around the local scene for a while, and then I, um, I hooked up with Bill Barons and started wrestling for NWA Wildside. And we were uh, a developmental territory for WCW at the time before it closed down. And so um, Wildside was actually the launching point for me because um, we were on television in Philadelphia and a whole bunch of other markets. We were probably on 20 or 200 and 225 different markets across the United States. And so I was getting a lot of bookings just based on my exposure and NWA Wildside. And that's where um, the guys from like Combat Zone and, and Ring of Honor first kind of saw me in the Philadelphia market is from NWA Wildside. And before we get too much into Ring of Honor, tell me just, uh, do you have any interesting stories from Combat Zone? Because I've, I've been to, I I used to live in kind of the Maryland area. I, I went through a lot of the ECW arena times, especially up through like 97 to 2000, and then made a few Combat Zone shows once ECW left. So it's, it's definitely a uh, an interesting company to say the least. I, I'm sure there's probably got to be something, some fun stuff out of the Combat Zone. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it was, uh, it was definitely, you know, I, really what happened was in 2002, I sent, you know, like, this was back in, you know, VHS page, and so I sent out, you know, 50 VHS tapes across the country and across, actually across the world to try to get bookings. The only person that called me back was Ian Rock, and he booked me for the Ted Petty Invitational in 2002 for IWA Mid-South, and myself and AJ Styles went up and did that. Um, I did really, um, I had a good show in there, and uh, the guy that was recording for Smart Mark Video was booking CCW at the time, and so I came into CCW shortly after that, and um, CCW was just really one of those companies where it was a really um, tight-knit locker room, and so there was a whole bunch of us from Georgia that actually came up and did a, a few things for CCW, and I was only the one that kind of stuck around and um, I don't know why that was or what, you know what the catalyst was for that but um, I was always so grateful and uh, those, you know those guys were just like super awesome and um, really accepting of me and uh, I really had to pay my dues there and, 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 and make sure that um, you know I, I always wanted them to have the most respect for me but um, it was just uh, you know like that walk room was really crazy I, like, I think one of the first days I ever um, was on was um, right after a tournament death, and 
um, watching Nick Mondo come in after getting beat whackered in the stomach was just um, something that was really insane to me. Now, you obviously, going to IWA Mid-South, you, you mentioned Ian Rotten, who I think even nowadays is a very polarizing figure. You get people that will walk into, you know, a, a hail of gunfire for him and people that downright despise him for one reason or another. Um, have you had good dealings with, with Ian Rotten, or is are you kind of on the other side of the fence with, with him? Uh, I've always just been really neutral with Ian. Like, you, you know, like... Um, uh, they did it in uh, IWA Mid-South QCW um, angle at one point and I remember um, John Bandig and Ian like you know arguing whoever gave me the big break in my career and I was just always like well I think Bill Barron's did because you guys didn't know about me if it wasn't for him you know <laughs> and so uh, but it, it was just really always interesting that um, you know like you know, Ian gave me a lot of great opportunities, and like I said, if, it, if he had called me back for that, you know, that initial Tenfetti Invitational, I don't know, um, you know, if my career would have went the way it did. I mean, that was, a, you know, like where I became um, pretty close friends with CM Punk and Cole Cabana and those guys, and that, you know, really helped me later on in my career. Now, I have actually, there's two questions I have in mind that tie into how much this man has traveled and all the different companies that he's worked with. Okay. Um, question number one is our Trevin Adams Memorial question. Okay. You may get that. So Put that one in. Jimmy, yeah. obviously traveling all over the goddamn world to pursue the career that you love. Um, obviously, there's road stories. There's there's all kinds of sagas on that front. But we're interested in one particular aspect. Um, when you're on the road, you're driving a long-ass time, and you see the light on the side of the road, and you got the grumblies in your tumblies, and you need to grab something to eat. Do you prefer sheets or Wawa? Oh, definitely Wawa. <laughs> Jimmy, I love you. Oh, you're the best. As you can see, this is an ongoing uh, debate on our show here. Now, now, um, now, not to rub it in anyone's face. Shut up! Uh, what is it about Wawa that really uh, puts it over for you? Um, so, so Georgia doesn't have either, you know what I mean? And so, um, when I first started going to Philly and I, and I, you know, was introduced to this amazing thing, um, called Wawa, like I, I just fell in love and, um, and, you know, and like, she's always just seemed like a, like a really bad imitation of what Wawa actually was. That you're literally everything I want to hear right now. That's okay. I still I still have the Viking War oh, Party. Oh, fuck you! And the, and the Who hooligan, in the past. The hooligan to the submission squad. We live in the past. I'm okay with my, So, question, okay with question number two about, obviously, you, you're, you're uh, a well-traveled uh, wrestler. So, one, I guess this is the David Starr Memorial question. Yeah, I've got it. Uh, one topic that seems to come up when we, when we interview... Um, you know, independent wrestlers is the idea of part timers and how they influence the business. So, have you come across? Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like uh, any shows where, let's say, there's somebody who isn't really greatly trained, but they're willing to put their body out there and they're willing to do it for nothing, or like a handshake and a ham sandwich. 
Um, we uh, David Starr, when he was originally on the show, went on a like 45-minute manifesto about how that is killing the business and watering things down. We've also had other people who say it's not really a problem. They're not uh, taking anybody's main spot. Me and Yim, I think, went on a pretty darn long rant. That was long as well, too. yeah. So, uh, so Jimmy, uh, what are your thoughts on part-timers, and do you think that they're killing the business? So, um, you know, like, when, when pro wrestling was my sole source of income, um, you know, it, I, I took it really seriously. You know, like, when when I'm putting my body on the line uh, to wrestle these guys that, you know, I might have just met that day and, you know, just had a conversation with that day, um, and they didn't take it as seriously as I did, um, it really was offensive to me. Um, but <clears throat> I think nowadays I kind of realize that, you know, there's all kinds of different people that are, are drawn to um, the sport of pro wrestling and, and, you know, whether they're um, part-timers or not, you know, it, it for me, it's their attitude to which they approach wrestling. You know, if they're, if they're going to go out there and work as hard as I do, um, then, you know, then I give them all the respect in the world, you know, but when if they, if they come in there and half-ass things, you know, like then, mm-hmm. um, they probably don't want to get in the ring with me at that point um, because you know it. You know, to me, it's it's still um, you know, it's, it's like my 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 matches are my my resume. You know, that's mm-hmm. my body of work. And um, if somebody's not gonna you know produce um, on their end the, the amount of work that I'm putting out there, then um, that's really insulting to me um, because. Whether there's you know five people or five thousand people, like I like I go hard every time because, like I said, like that's my that's my resume, and so um, you know as long as people have a respect for pro wrestling um, and respect um, you know the person that's standing across the ring from them and and what they're trying to do with their career, um, I don't have any problems with it. I, like I know some guys that are really honest and say like, look, I, you know I don't want you know I'm not trying to make this. A, you know, a career of mine, you know, I just do it because it's fun, and they go out there and work just as hard as I do, but then the, the other guys that don't do that um, and, and really um, suck the life out of pro wrestling, um, those guys need to find a different line of work, I think. And actually, something interesting you, you brought up here, because you, you said that uh, wrestling is not currently your main source of income anymore. Now, I'm not going to go too far into you know, going after your shoot job here, but now that you're that, that wrestling is more of, I guess, more of a part-time thing. Interestingly enough, to follow up that question, do you find you and you enjoy your time in the ring more that that it's not something that you're you're having to necessarily use to totally put food on the table, or is it? Do you still go in with kind of the same? Um, fire for it that you did when it when it was all or nothing. The, all or nothing. Thank you. Yeah, so, um, actually, like, it was maybe two and a half years ago, I just had to take 10 months off of wrestling, because, um, it, you know, it, at that point, it, it also wasn't my sole source of income, but it just stopped being fun for me, you know, and so, um, now, nowadays, like, I, like I'm having a blast, I'm, I'm having good matches, I don't feel pressured, um, but even when it was my job, like, I, I still had a lot of fun doing it, um, you know, and, and never felt like something that was a job, it, you know, it was just something I love to do, um, you know, and, and I, like, uh, 
it's a decision of mine to make it not my sole source of income. Um, I've, I've always had some kind of backup plan. And even, even when I was wrestling for TNA and, you know, doing, you know, 15 to 20 days a month on the road for them, I was still, I still had something in my back pocket to, in case anything ever happened to me. So, um, so I've always had some, some other kind of, um, job on the side just in case anything ever happened. Do you think more wrestlers should probably be doing that? They should have something more in their back pocket just just in case? Um, you know, I mean, you know, like, I, I think I'm just a realist, like, because, and I don't like to, like, you know, um, struggle to get by, you know what I mean? Like, um, it, it's just one of those things where, like, if, if, you know, if I got severely hurt, um, you know, how am I going to pay my bills for that month? And so I never wanted to have to to rely on pro wrestling to be able to do that. Even when I had contracts with the Green of Honor or with TNA, it was, you know, if I didn't wrestle that month, I wasn't getting paid, you know? Now, not to, I don't want to put any particular company on blast or anything like that, but um, <laughs> speaking about the part-timers and the, you know, those, like you said, when they're not bringing the same kind of enthusiasm to the ring as you have you is there a spe- is there a particular story you can think of where something like that occurred where it was like okay jimmy we need you to wrestle this guy and it's you know backyard jeff hardy who you know has never been to wrestling school and you were like no i'm not doing this uh, anything particular like i said i'm not looking for you to drop names like oh this guy was but, an asshole but if you want to by all yeah way. feel free to you know <laughs> shit talk whatever you want but um is there anything in particular you can think of of that or something similar happening, or is it just sort of a, you know, you've always kind of been up front of like, hey, don't stick me with people who don't know what the fuck they're doing? No, I, um, you know, I've always been able to, you know, um, handle myself in the ring. Um, there's, there's, there's a guy, and he, you know, he's really good now. Um, his name is Jason Collins. He wrestles, you know, in North Georgia. He, he just um, did the Scenic City Invitational with me. Um, he's a really good hand, you know. But um, the first time I wrestled him, um, I walked into the dressing room that night, and um, and he was like, "Hey, man, I, you know, it's my it's my first day on the job," and he was laughing about it, you know. Ooh. And I just, you know, I just chose not to talk to him for the rest of the night. And, um, got in the ring and didn't let him touch me, and just beat him up and um, and then pinned him one, two, three, and got out. And he was just like. What? You know, what the fuck is that? I was like, look, man, you're, I meant, um, I'm not going to let you pick me up or drop me or hurt me if, you know, um, I don't know you either, you know what I mean? Like, and so we don't have that relationship where you can just make those kind of jokes. You know, like, I'm my own um, investment, you know what I mean? And if, uh, if, if, if you want to act that way, I'm going to protect myself, you know? And so, um, I, you know, I, I, you know I, I learned really early on um, to, you know, kind of really uh, pay attention to, to everybody in the locker room and really figure out, like, what guys can and cannot do. And if, if, if I feel like they can do something, like, it's not going to happen. That's really interesting because that's almost like a different perspective on the old cliche of, like, getting beaten into the business. Like, well, also, I was going to say, too, most of the people who kvetch about the part-timer idea, it's more, oh, well, they're taking my paycheck, or, you know, they're taking up a spot on a card. But really, the point of your every match, every performance, every time you step out there, that's your resume. You don't know who's going to be watching these shows. 
you know, whether it's exactly. going to be the crowd or a promoter or a booker or whoever. And it's like, if this guy's costing you essentially an evening or a good match, then right. fuck that guy, you know? Yeah, exactly. I, and, and that's how I approach it. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, like, and, and if anybody watches my, the body of work that, I, that I've produced, especially in the last year or two years, like, you know, I, like I've wrestled guys that have, you know, had a handful of matches and, and tried to make them look like a million bucks. Um, because I, I really do feel like that. I feel like it's, it's, it's a resume for both of us. And, you know, if, if I'm not going out there and showing people that I can carry somebody to a good match and, and, and you know, show them that uh, something magical can happen when you put me in the ring with anybody, then, um, then I'm not doing my job either. So I, I, I think that's... Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, like, both guys have to kind of be in that mindset of, you know, like, we're going to go out here and work as hard as possible. And, um, I, th- I think if you ask anybody that I'm in the ring with, like, they can, they'll tell you that, that, you know, like, I'm, you know, I'm the kind of person that that's going to work hard no matter what. And, I re- you know, like, I really, um, I got that from just, you know, being around other guys that, that worked like that, you know, like, whether it was, you know, like, guys like CM Punk or um, Daniel Bryan, like, when I was in Ring of Honor, and Samoa Joe and those guys that, like, really um, worked hard, like, around the clock, or when I got to TNA, I used to, you know, be on these house shows, and Kurt Angle and Christian would do, like, 30 minutes and just go hard the whole time, and, um, and I was just like, man, like, these guys really are about... Um, whether, you know, like, it's on t- television or pay-per-view or house show that they want people to get their money's worth. And, and that's really how I feel about pro wrestling. Well, and that's really interesting, you know, that you mentioned, you know, when you were working this guy's first match, that he was cracking jokes and you were serious business. Um, I'm curious, is there a particular wrestler that is the Ric Flair to your steamboat? Is there somebody that you've wrestled so many times that you can wrestle with your eyes closed and it's just fun and you don't have to worry about anything with them? Is there is there a particular wrestler that... Is that way with you, or is it just kind of a new experience every time with everybody? Um, I, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of guys like Kyle Matthews, who wrestles here in Georgia. He and I have wrestled each other uh, a billion times. Um, my my best friend is Sal Naro. He and I have you know wrestled each other a ton of times. Um, I just wrestled AJ Styles again this past Friday, and we've wrestled each other enough to where um, you know like it, it's one of those things where we don't really have to talk about much. And so um, I, I think there's a lot of guys that um, that I, like I, I feel like um, I can do that with. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and um, you briefly mentioned AJ. Um, any thoughts on the possible WWE rumors, which may not be rumors, um, right? Yeah, I mean, like you know, my thoughts. Are, I, I mean, like I, I was in the car with him um, way back then. Like I think I guess it was two thousand two when he turned down WWE for the first time. We were actually on our way to to go and try out for TNA at the time, um, and. You know, like, for him to be able to get this opportunity, like, it, you know, it's just kind of like the last, you know, um, the last, you know, piece of a of an amazing puzzle of his career, you know. And so um, if he can get that opportunity and, and go up there and show, you know, all the people that, you know, may think that, you know, you know, guys like AJ Styles is too small or 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 that can't carry their own weight in a in a large company like that. Like I, I think any time that you know guys like that get an opportunity, it, it just helps everybody else out. 
Now, take me back to the car ride. AJ just hangs up the phone after telling Vince McMahon, no, nah, I'm all right. Was there, like, did the car pull over? And you went, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, how did, like, what was the next, like, 15 seconds of that car ride? Um, it was, it was me, AJ, and David Young. And, um, you know, like, AJ had some valid reasons, you know what I mean? Like, he was making more on the Indies than they were offering him for, per week. And his wife had just gotten a teaching job, and they had just bought a house and all this stuff. And he had, you know, left WCW, you know, about a year before. And so it, it, it really made sense to me, you know what I mean? And, like... You know, of course, you know, here, I was probably 19 or 20 years old at the time. I was just like, just do it, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> your opportunity, you know? But, um, but I mean, it worked out for him. Like, we, uh, you know, we, we, we drove up to Nashville that night, him and David Young, you know, tore the house down, and then they got on the first uh, TNA pay-per-view, and, you know, it, it lasted him 11 years. So, he, you know, it obviously did, you know, made the right decision. True, true, but coming from, you know, uh, you're watching a, a house show in Honolulu every year for your birthday, I would think that to a certain extent you'd have that voice of like, are you out of your mind? Like, the ghost of Macho Man could be waiting for you there. Like, I don't think Macho is dead yet. But... Actual Macho Man could be waiting for you there. <laughs> you'd be rattling um, Hogan. Anyway. Now, um, kind of, last question for we have two questions that we ask everybody. We'll get true. to that and we'll get to those questions in just a moment. I, I do briefly have to ask a couple questions about the embassy, which I think might be kind of, I, I don't, well, I, you may not consider it the highlight of your career because it's obviously your career and it's your resume, but I think that's what a lot of people know is definitely that, that time that you were the crown jewel of the embassy. Um, I, the question I'm always interested in when it, when it comes to the embassy is, uh, is Prince Nana as crazy as I think he is? And two, um, you'll, you'll have to tell us the first time that somebody decided to throw toilet paper in the ring, and how fucking annoying did that become after a while? Um, you know, like, yeah, Chris, Chris has, uh, he's a sweetheart, he's, he's, a, he's a really amazing person, like, he, um, I just thought we fed off of each other really, really well, um, you know, and, and, and I do see the embassy as, like, one, especially one of the highlights of my career, like, that was really the first time. I've ever been given the ball to, to kind of do anything and um, and really be, you know, uh, perfect. You know, I had never been a heel before. Um, they'd given me that opportunity. And so um, I've kind of made my career of uh, being a heel ever since then. Yeah, um, and as far as it, you were good at it then. I'll tell you, I, I remember a lot, of the, a lot of that stuff from the embassy. So that... <laughs> You know, like as far as the toilet paper thing is, is um, you know, it, it it never got annoying to me. I loved it. Like it was, it was a, it, you know, it was one of those things that you know showed that um, you know, like people went out of their way to go and buy toilet paper to throw at me, you know, every show, and really, like um, you know, keep, you know, I I, I think pro wrestling fans want to be a part of the show. You know what I mean? Like they they really want to to have. You know, like they, they come to a show to interact with, with fans or the wrestlers, you know? And this was their way to interact with me without them being the focal point. Um, and that's what I try to, you know, tell young, you know, wrestlers, especially heels, um, you know, like that, you know, fans need to be able to interact with them but not be the focal point. And 
So um, it was just me reacting to um, one guy throwing it. And then, you know, the next night it was just, you know, a, a storm of toilet paper, and, you know, and it followed me to England and Japan and everywhere else. And so it was just a, like a really cool, um, it was an awesome visual and like it just uh, really, um, you know, helped me get a lot more um, confidence in, in what I was doing. Uh, for for Zach and Luna who who don't have the the wrestling history that I do, I don't know if I I have to show you video of this later because I don't think I we probably should have shown you before. Right. Um, Would have been you, nice. know, you know how some people get the, the streamer treatment. Yeah, of um, at the height of his heal them with the embassy, they would streamer with with toilet paper. Um, and that <laughs> two was, ply or one ply? I, depending on whatever they could get at the store at the time, uh-huh. I'm sure. I don't know if there was a real specific on the ply. I was saying um, if it's if it's the gas station sandpaper kind. I would be angry, but if it's if someone's throwing Charmin Ultra in the ring, I'd be like, I, can, I don't know if someone's pl- plugging the money down for Charmin Ultra on that particular instance, but it, I would have. You, you would have. Well, you know, you got to make I'm sure. A, I'm a thoughtful fan. There hey, you go. I hate you as a bad guy, but also you might need to wipe your ass later, and it's not yeah. you want to be pleasant. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Instead of a towel, just start a dab. <laughs> right, exactly. That's true. Okay. Well, on that note. Uh, uh, we at the IndyCast always end our show with the our two infamous questions. Uh, so for question, those two questions, I do hand off to my co-host, one Mr. Zach Romero. Uh, my time to shine. So here at the IndyCast, we know that unfortunately in the beautiful performance art that is professional wrestling that we all love, we lose talent too soon. And so with that in mind... We want to know if you could work with any performer who is no longer alive, which ghost would you want to wrestle? Oh, it would definitely be Kurt Henning. Um, you know, I, just, you know, like the, the, one of my favorite moments was um, back in the early days of TNA when they were, we were doing the Wednesday night pay-per-views. Um, he... You know, he and I were in a battle royal together, and I was just like, oh my god, like, almost cracked myself. Because, <laughs> like, you know, you're, you know, this is my, you know, idol. And uh, so I got to hang out with him a few times before he passed. But, you know, like, I just thought he was um, the epitome of, you know, like, what a good uh, wrestling still was. And he got good matches with everybody and make somebody look good and um, just, like, took insane bumps for everybody. and. Um, I really try to, you know, mold my, you know, how I wrestle after that, for sure. Follow-up question to that. Order these three things in order of most impressive. So uh, so go from, I guess, what, least impressive to least most to impressive? Most, yeah. Uh, throwing the towel to himself, hitting the gum, throwing a touchdown to himself. Um, I would say... Um, Throwing the touchdown to himself was least impressive because throwing the towel to himself was would be the second and the gum would be the first because the, the last two things he did every time. You know what I mean? Like he only threw the touchdown to himself you know, during that one pre-tape. But like every time in the live crowd, I, I don't remember watching him like you know, spit that gum out and not hitting it. You know what I mean? True. So, really impressive. That's true. He did. He, he hit it every single damn time. Okay, so into, into some dude's hair. You yeah, know, definitely. That was the part some, they didn't show you. Right. Was Which some, go, oh, some what the preteen, hell? Some preteen girl in the front row just crying her eyes out because now they got to put the peanut butter and the mayonnaise in the hair yeah. and all that stuff. Yuck. <laughs> anyway, 
Put the Charmin, dab it with that. Anyway, so question number two. We here at the IndieCast believe that every animal in nature is given certain traits to ensure its evolutionary survival. For instance, giraffes have the very long neck, rhinos have the big horns, etc., etc. Our belief is that the human being as an animal, its evolutionary trait is the ability to use tools. So with that said, Jimmy Ray, if you could fight any animal, what would it be and what weapon do you use? What animal would I fight? And what weapon do you use, yes? Hmm. Real or mythical? Good question. Um, I think I would fight ants and use a magnifying glass. Nice! <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Excellent choice. I mean, maybe that one hasn't come up before. Yeah, that's a classic. So. Well, excellent. Well, uh, Jimmy, this is the point in the show. This is our possibly our favorite segment that we have now officially dubbed Get Your Shit In. Uh, so if there's anything that you would like to uh, hype, promote. plug, promote, the, the floor is now yours. All right. Um, you guys can follow me on Twitter. It's the Jimmy Rays. I'm also on Instagram at the Jimmy Rays. Um, on, on Facebook at Jimmy, you know, Jimmy Rays. Um, I just opened a pro wrestling piece, um, dot com. Backslash Jimmy Ray's store. I have two designs out there: the, the Jimmy Ray's approved designs, and so check that out if you want to um, support me by any way possible. Um, you know, um, follow, you know, like if you want to see what I'm coming up, you know, got coming up. Uh, Twitter's probably the best way to, to follow what what I've got coming up. I guess that's the Jimmy Ray's. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so, Luna Lynn, uh, really quickly, you've got uh, like five seconds. Get your shit in. Ooh, absolutely. Um, Fullygimmick.com for awesome tees and merch. Check out some of our new ambassadors. We will actually be announcing a few ones new for 2016. So that's super exciting. Um, general social media, just search Fully Gimmicked. You'll find me. And um, keep eyes peeled for awesome new stuff coming soon. We've got a lot of projects in the works that I'm super excited about. A lot of things and uh, yeah, just fangirling in. real hard. Probably awesome people I get to work with, so I'm thrilled. A lot, things, a lot of things brewing in the Bermuda Triangle. Exactly. Bing bong. Zach Romero, get your shit in. Uh, visit youtube.com slash Romero Wrestling. Uh, have some new uh, reviews coming up down the pike, as well as search for the IndieCast on YouTube for wonderful animated episodes and various other little clippy do's that we'll throw on there. And, uh, Jimmy, number one question for you. When are you wrestling in Florida again? Um, I, I don't, I really don't have anything scheduled for Florida, actually. Well, Mr. damn it. Well, Mr. Mm-hmm. one Mr. Trevin Adams, if you're listening <laughs> to this show, because we know how much you love the fact that we book your show constantly. <laughs> to the red bat phone for Trevin Adams. <laughs> we will, we'll make something happen. Uh, just, uh, expect a letter. In the mail soon from uh, any one of like five companies here in Florida. Yeah, exactly. We'll uh, okay. we'll, 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 pull, we'll pull our uh, our rank on. Well, yeah, our non-existent rank. Yeah. Uh, and while you're getting uh, your uh, Jimmy Rave T-shirt from Pro Wrestling Tees, please don't forget to stop over and get your Cult of Kayfabe uh, shirt. I do believe uh, a one Mister Rave has now officially become cock strong. That's true. Uh, by joining into the group, so hopefully we won't disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> The please, please don't be disappointed. Stay uh, for the comments. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's about the extent of it from us. So uh, the one last question that I do have to ask before we uh, before we end the show, Jimmy Rave, is the IndyCast now officially Jimmy Rave approved? 
And Cash is absolutely Jamiro approved. Well, I was terrified he was going to be like, nah. Nah. Like, I, I, Don't worry. I knew there was a chance it was there, <laughs> so I had to be sure. But yeah, Johnny Big Balls, I like it. All that's right. right so. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for being a guest. You've been wonderful. And expect a uh, a custom IndieCast former guest t-shirt yes, we on the doorstep to. in the near future. And so until next time, I'm Zach Romero. I'm Chad Allen. I'm Luna. Deuces! Thank you for listening to the IndieCast. Be sure to check out ProWrestlingTees.com uh, for your official Cult of Cafe merch. Subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at IndieCast. Also, check out Wrestling Rewind on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Romero Wrestling. And if you happen to enjoy our theme music, it's provided by the geek punk band Nerds Raging. You can find them at Facebook.com slash Nerds Raging. The IndieCast, putting over the Mantis Huge. What the fuck is going on? Suck my ball, you son of a bitch. I put the Mantis over big. And you can mail my check for $50 to the Sportatorium. Way to stick it in. If you don't love the IndieCast, quite frankly, you can bite my ass.